I remember when I, uh, when I was in college uh, five years ago, when I was 20 years old, uh, I remember when I was in college, you, you take these, if you remember this, if you, if you went to college, you, you take these 101 classes, you know, these are, these are the basic classes you start off with, and usually the, the, the classes are, are large, right, and you have a lot of students there, and you're basic English or whatever, psychology, some of these 101 classes, and, and then you go up to the 201 classes, and the 301, and the 401, and the classes get harder, and they get smaller, and you get deeper into your, your course of, of, of study, and, and when I was thinking about going through uh, the book of Exodus, and, and our study in the book of Exodus, you see God taking th- this, his children who have been enslaved, who have been under the bondage of Egypt for 400 plus years, he takes them out of this slavery, brings them to himself, and think about it for a moment, they don't really understand how to have a relationship with God. And what's interesting is when God brings them out, he brings them through the Red Sea, he takes them into the wilderness, he takes them into the wilderness, and then he brings them to this mountain, Mount Sinai. Now, this mountain is not just any mountain. This mountain is like a, it's, it's a cosmic mountain. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a scary mountain. There's, there's thunder. This is where God is. There's a cloud there, and there's thunder, and God's voice speaks from, from there, and it's a scary mountain. And here God brings them, to teach them how to have a relationship with him. And what I want to talk about today is kind of the 101 class on how to have a relationship with God. Because I think for many of us, we have this misconception of of what it means to have a real relationship with God. And I think what happens is, whether we hear it from the world or from other people or maybe the way we were raised or maybe the way we were taught, it's very easy to have a misunderstanding about how we are to relate to God. And let me just tell you here right now, God desires to relate to each and every one of us. God's desire for you is that no matter what your past may be, no matter what the messiness of your past is, no matter how unworthy you think you are to have a relationship with God, God desires to bring you close. There was nothing in Israel that made them, that made them merit God's favor. In fact, they were messed up just like you and I are messed up, right? We're, we're all messed up in some, aren't we? When we really get below the surface, we're messed up. We've got dysfunctional families. There's stuff we're not proud about. There's stuff there's no way we'd ever put on Facebook, right? We, we all know this stuff. But for some reason, we want to hide it. For some reason, we want to bring about this picture to everybody that I got it all under control. Well, let me just relieve every single one of you here today. God's first requirement for using you is that you need to be messed up. That, that, isn't that great? Here's on my resume. Remember putting that on a resume? I messed up. Hire me, right? See, what God does is God says, no, 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 no. You don't come to me and think that you're perfect and God all together. That's not the people that I use. I want you to come to me and allow me to show you what kind of relationship I want to have with you. Allow me to strip you of all your pretenses, all all your baggage, all this stuff, and then let me work with you. And see, this is what God does. He brings the children of Israel to Mount Sinai, and he's going to show them 
this is how you are to relate to me. This is foundational. This is 101. This is how I want you to. So as you proceed from Mount Sinai, this is, this is going to be vital for the rest of your lives. This is foundational. This is 101. This is how I want you to see me, how I want you to relate to me. And so Mount Sinai is vital for their relationship with God. And so what I want to do is I'm going to take a look at Mount Sinai that you probably never looked at before. It's so much more than just Israel going to this mountain and Moses coming down with the commandments of God. It's so much more than that. And what we're going to do today is we're going to connect the dots from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. We're going to connect the dots between Mount Sinai and God developing a relationship with Israel to Jesus himself and what this means for you and I. And I hope this brings a whole new light for you on God's relationship with you and how he desires to relate to you. So if you've, if you've got your Bibles, what we're going to look at first is Exodus 19. And uh, so just, just put your finger there. We'll, we'll show it up on the screens in just a moment. And, uh, and so here we have, I want you to understand something here. Um, God brings them to Mount Sinai. And then you think, okay, they're at Mount Sinai. And then, and then God just gives them a bunch, of, a bunch of rules. And I want you to understand that God didn't save Israel from Egyptian bondage just to bring them into the desert and just give them a bunch of rules to follow. So he doesn't just bring them out there and say, okay, now that I've saved you from Israel, here's all these rules and I want you to follow them. And you're going to break them anyways, by the way. So have fun. It's not, that's not the purpose. I want you to realize that God saved them for a reason. He saved them for a purpose. God doesn't take you out of our, out of our sinful lifestyles just to load a bunch of rules and regulations on your back and then make your life miserable. I want you to realize that God saves you for a purpose. And when you understand what your purpose is, it gives you this joy and ambition and then a new outlook on life. How many know if we just came into Christianity and it was just a bunch of rules and regulations, we'd all give up, wouldn't we? Because there's no way you can follow it. I, I know, listen, some of you parents may be really good at this, but we stunk at this as parents, Kathleen and I. Remember the old, you, you, you try to get your kids to do stuff? So we, we thought the same way. We read books and we, we, you know, looked at, you know, you look at YouTube because YouTube, you know, you learn everything on YouTube, right? So we're looking at all these things. How can we help our children are older now? Obviously, two are in college. We have a 16-year-old daughter. Pray for me. Hallelujah. And so we were like, well, when they were younger, how do we do this? So, you know, everybody has the chore chart, right? We got this chore chart. And here's all your chores. And when you do them, we're going to check it off. Now, some of you may be great at the chore chart, but how many know our chore chart worked for about five hours? They weren't doing it. We're threatening them. We're like giving them ultimatums. We're going to say, we're, we're going to kick you out. You're going to live at grandma and grandpa's. Right? We, get, we get all this. It just didn't work. Why? Because you get all these rules and regulations. And they're just like, well, we don't want to do it. We got, it just did the chore chart thing didn't work. We had to find a whole new way. Of, of, of threatening them and making them feel guilty. So we had to find a whole new way of doing this, right? And see, so what God does, he doesn't bring them to Mount Sinai just to get this chore chart. Here's your chore chart. 
Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Have a fun life. I want you to realize something here. It's so much more about this. God desires to build a relationship with them. So here it is. The first thing, if you're following in your notes, they're in your bulletins there. If you follow in your notes, here's the first thing. The reason why God brings Israel to Mount Sinai is to do this. Not to give them a chore chart, but to have a relationship with them. To have a relationship with them. That's what God desires to do. So at Mount Sinai, God is giving Israel a 101 course on what it means to have a relationship with him. And so what he does is he sets this expectation for them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Before we see this Mount Sinai and the commandments come down, because they're important, we're going to talk about that. God establishes relationship. And I want you to see the language that God speaks in Exodus chapter 19. Here they are at Mount Sinai. And I want you to see before the commandments are given, I want you to see the language that God speaks to Israel as they're at this cosmic mountain. And we can see this in Exodus 19. And I want to read for you verses 1 through 13. So it says, In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, three months after, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of that mountain. Verse three, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him to the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And this is what you're to tell the people of Israel. Listen to, listen to God's language here. Here's what I want you to get. Here's the whole premise of the message. This is foundational. Otherwise, you won't understand anything I talk about from this moment later. Okay? Here's what he says to them. He doesn't say, tell them, don't do this and don't do that. Because I'm going to be mad at them if they break my rules. Listen to God's language as he establishes his relationship with them. He says, this is what you're to tell them. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you. On eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that interesting language there? I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. What, a, what beautiful language there that God is speaking to his relationship. And he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my commands, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. He calls them his treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned all the elders and the people before all of them, the words of the Lord, and the commandments to speak. And the people all responded together. Here's what they say. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that my people will hear me speaking with you and will always Put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, now go to the people and consecrate them today. And tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 12 Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. 
He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether a man or an animal. He shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. So here we see God's expectations for them. God establishing a relationship with them. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. We see God saying to Israel in verse 4 and 5, It is I who carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. You are now my treasured possession. Now, I like these words. These are, these, I like these words about God, right? These are words we tend to gravitate towards. You know, God gathering us. I'm God's treasured possession. We like those words. Then Moses comes down and he's to consecrate the people and tells them, you are not to touch the mountain or you will die. If you even lay a finger on the mountain, you will die. Now, Wait a minute, what happened to the nice language, the eagle's wings, the wind blowing through my hair, the the being God's treasured possessions? I don't like don't touch the mountain and die. What is going on here at Mount Sinai? What God is doing is he is establishing a right relationship with him. See, here's where we miss it with God. See, we like the nice, nice language. And all of a sudden we develop this, what we think is a right relationship with God. And what God shows Israel is no, I don't want you establishing what you think or how you think you should have a relationship with me. I'm going to show you the proper way to have a relationship with me so that your life will be blessed. See, God's heart for them is to have a right relationship. But the issue here is God is still a holy God who cannot be touched. Can I have an amen? Amen. Okay, we need to understand both. Both have to come together in order for us to have a right relationship. Now, I I speak to this to my kid, because you know as your kids get a little bit older, they get a little more sassy, right? They, they, They think they know it all, right? And I can remember saying one time to my boys, and they were talking to their mom one time, they got a little sassy, and I stopped them. I said, number one, I want you to tell you one thing. I know this is your mom. I know blah, blah, blah. You love her and blah, blah, blah. But I want you to know one thing. She's my wife, and you will never talk to her that way again. Capiche? End of story. Have fun living out in the woods if you do it again. No, I'm just teasing, right? See, there's this, yeah, I, I know mom loves me, but she's my wife. And we're going to establish a right relationship of respect that you will have for her. So at their very young age, they learn very clearly, not only is she your mom, but more than that, she's my wife and you will never talk to her that way again. You see, here's what God is saying. I love you. Eagle's wings, wind blowing through my hair. Don't touch the mountain. Consecrate yourself. See, there's a line of respect that God is saying, listen, I want you to hear something here because if you don't do this correctly, you will miss a correct relationship. I think many people miss this with God. So he's establishing this right relationship. So here's what God does. God establishes the commandments not to show us how holy we can become. The commandments were given us to show how holy God is. You see that? See, here's where we miss it. We look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, how good am I doing following all these Ten Commandments? Look how good I am, right? Look at me. I didn't say a cuss word today. Woohoo! Give me a gold star for my forehead, right? 
I didn't murder anybody today. I'm doing real good, God. There's my checklist, right? See, God didn't establish the commandments solely so we could be morally good. Because he knew we were going to fail miserably on these. God establishes these things to set up a relationship with them to show them, no, 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 no. This is how holy I am. This is a life that's pleasing to a holy God. So what God does is this. He says, I want to have a relationship with you, but it will be on my terms, not yours. And so it's easy for us to want a comfortable God, one that I control. I went to church, check. I did something good, check. I gave some money, check. But the question is, am I coming under God's word? See, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I listen to God when I need correction? And do I correct the things that I know are wrong? See, what this is, is this isn't a question of do we make mistakes? Because we all make mistakes. Can I get an amen? That was really weak. Can I get an amen? Okay, that was better. We all make mistakes, right? This is more a question of obedience. So God says, yes, eagle wings, wind blowing through my hair, treasured possession, but don't touch the mountain. Obedience. Are you going to listen to me? Because this is important. You may not understand this right now, but this is important that you obey me in this because my holiness cannot be messed with. And I don't want you to die. And so this is what God tells Israel. When you approach, you must approach me this way. I am holy. Nothing unholy can come into my presence without dying. So let me make God's holiness understandable. Let me make it clear so we understand the holiness of God. So we get this. God's holiness would be like approaching a nuclear reactor. Now, we have a nuclear reactor here in Ontario. And if the, we know if the sirens go off, right? The long ones, right? We know, uh-oh, we have an evacuation route, right? It's to go all bother the people in the southern tier. So we all leave, right? There's an evacuation route. It's interesting because our our new youth pastor, Brandon, and his wife, they came about a month ago. They're from Missouri. And when they heard sirens, that meant tornado. You get into your root cellar or whatever it is, and you hide from those tornadoes. So when the fire, because we have a fire siren here in Ontario, when that went off, Brandon thought it was a tornado siren. So he's panicking. He's running to the office. He runs to Catherine. (laughs) Where do we go? Well, we have no basement here at the church, so let's just, you know, I, we said, no. So Kevin's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, the sirens are going off. The sirens are going off. Where do we go? It's a tornado. She goes, no, it's the fire, the fire alarm. Oh, you know, so he didn't, he didn't know. I thought that was Missouri boy. They make all that mistake. Anyways, you know, some of you work at Ganae and you understand all about nuclear reactors. You just don't go into one. There are all types of things to protect you against radiation and you must wear certain clothes and the reactor must be protected. You see, I want you to see this as the same way with God. God in the same way, you just can't haphazardly come near him or you will die. And so Mount Sinai is actually split into these three zones of increasing holiness, which is very interesting. Moses is the only one that could go to the top. Aaron and the 70 elders could go on the slopes and on the borders of the mountain. And then there was a place the people could only go. And if you passed any one of these borders, you would die. 
And you're thinking, man, that is so strict. Why is that so strict? Once again, God wanted them to be reminded of his holiness. Mount Sinai is a great symbolic picture for us of the temple, of the tabernacle that they would build for God. And why is it such a symbolic picture of this? Well, think of the temple or the tabernacle. There was this huge curtain that reminded the people that they could not go behind it into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest, once a year, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, could they enter that. It was a reminder to them, don't pass this curtain. If you haven't consecrated yourself, you will die in my presence. It was a reminder to them that God was holy and you don't haphazardly come into his presence without a sacrifice. So let me, let me, let me fast forward it today. Let me just fast forward it because sometimes we can think in terms of, oh, that happened so many years ago. But let's fast forward it today. Um, has anything changed about God's standard of holiness today? Has it changed? Does it matter what people say? Does it matter how our culture has changed? Does it matter how our culture thinks about certain things today? Does that matter? So is, so we understand that, um, that his holiness hasn't changed. Are we to be any less in awe of his holiness? So, the question we need to ask ourselves, have people changed where we do not need to be consecrated before God? Has that changed? See, the Bible says this. The Bible says, and I, I love this description of God. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Now, if you were to take a tissue paper and hold it up to a blazing fire, it would be consumed in an instant. And I want you to realize that is our life before a holy God. Now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, pastor. What about the eagle's wings, the wind in my hair, right? I'm his treasure possession. I'm special. What about that pastor? So here's the question we can ask ourselves. How can I come close to God and be accepted in my sinfulness. How can I come close to God? Well, let me just say this. I have wonderful news for you today. I have good news for you today because here's the answer. God knows that we can't come close to him without dying. So God just doesn't hang us out there and make us feel miserable and guilty about ourselves. Like I'll never be accepted. I'll never fit in. And so then we walk in this condemnation and this guilt because we feel like, have I done enough to get into heaven? And so many people think that way. Have I done enough? Did I, do my good works outweigh my bad works? Have I done enough to, to make it into heaven? In every other religious world system, they are trying to make their way to God by what they do. Christianity is the only world religion or belief system that says it's already been done for you. Amen. So, so how, what's the answer? Well, let me dive into a couple verses in the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrew is written to Hebrew Christians to explain why Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And in fact, the Hebrew writer talks about Mount Sinai and how strict it is and how you can't approach it. 
And he uses this to catapult us into the New Testament, into the life of Christ. So let me look at a couple of these passages. First of all, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Hebrews chapter 12, and let's find the answer of how can we approach this holy God? And so starting with verse 18, listen to what it says here. I'm sorry, verse 12, yeah, chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet, blaze, or such a voice speaking words that those who hear it beg that no further word be spoken to them. He's talking about the cosmic mountain. It's scary. We're going to die. Verse 20. Because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it would be stoned. So all the people are fearful. They're like, we don't want to even get near it. Moses, you go for us because if we do anything wrong, we don't want to die. This is how scary Mount Sinai was. Verse 21, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Do you see the fear of God, how it gripped their hearts? They were terrified. But listen to what he says here. The Hebrew writer connects our fears to something that can be relieved in the person of Jesus Christ. This is so wonderful. Verse 22. But he says, but you have come where? To Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem. To the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And look at verse 24, because here's the answer. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, let's go back a couple verses here to verse, or to a couple chapters to chapter 14 of Hebrews, and let's make sense of this, and we're going to explain this. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, fo- let, let us, uh, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without what? Without sin. Let us then, oh, here it is. Wait, 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 wait. Verse 16. Wait a minute. Cosmic mountain. Don't approach. You're going to die. Verse 16. Look what's going on here. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what does this all mean? What it means is we can't do it ourselves. We need something to help us to get to God. And I want you to understand something here that Jesus did everything for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus was perfect and fulfilled all of God's righteous demands for us. So here's what Jesus does for you and I. I want you to get a picture once again of Mount Sinai. They are terrified. Here, don't come near. Don't let an animal come near. They're terrified. Moses, you go up forth. There's voice coming from the mount. There's the smoke. There's the thunder. We don't want to get near this thing. Here's what I want to remind you. Here's the good news. Jesus went up the mountain for us. 
Jesus allowed himself to take on the wrath of God for us and for our sins. What Jesus does now is he, through Christ, through his perfect sacrifice, has now made a way that we can go up to the mountain. Amen? What a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. You, once again, get the picture. Sinai, the angry mountain. Scary, deadly mountain which provoked fear. And so I want you to see here the contrast at Mount Sinai. God says to Moses, have the people consecrate themselves. God did everything for them so that they could stand in his presence to have a relationship with them. So God says, yeah, I know I'm holy. I, I, I want to invoke the fear in your hearts and lives because, because my holiness is perfect and, and, and you can't cross that. And God knew that. God just didn't set them up at Mount Sinai to, to make them fail. So what God says, I want this fear to be there because I want you to understand how holy I am. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will never understand the grace by which we are saved. Listen, I don't mean to be hard on you here, but listen to me. When we begin to lessen the holiness of God, it will lessen your understanding of what and how you are truly saved. I don't want all of you here to have this casual relationship with God that it's just this eagle's wings, you're special, and that's it. I want you to understand, and it's part of it, but I want you to understand that God is a holy God and he went to the end of the world to save you. He went to the end of the world to allow his very own son, who is God, who is perfect, to die for you and your sins. I want you to realize that your sins have alienated you from God. Every single one of us in this place deserves hell because of our waywardness. We fell short of God's perfection and God's glory. This is what a loving God we have. That the Bible even tells us that God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we are still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's how much he loves you today. That he did everything for us to show us, this is how you're going to be able to approach me. And if you get this, it will set you free. It will cause you to be grateful for the gift of salvation that I've given you. And so here's what we have. We need something to help us to get to God. And so we see this angry mountain, this scary, deadly mountain, which provoked fear. And what God says to Moses, have the people consecrate themselves. And so what Moses does is he went on behalf of the people before God so that they wouldn't die. And God instructs them on what they are to do and how they are to do it. And so what the Hebrew writer tells us here in the scriptures that we just read is that Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He went into heaven for us, not through the blood of any animal, but through his own blood that we would be able to come close to God. Not only come close to God, but now I have confidence knowing that it's not based on me and did I do enough good? But now it's based on what Jesus Christ has already done for me. So when I put my faith in Christ and his righteous works, what happens is the, the, the Bible tells us that now Christ and his righteous works are now imputed into my life, even though I make mistakes, even though I'm messed up, even though I have this seedy past. In Christ now, his righteousness is now imputed in my life that I can now, through Christ and through his blood, can boldly approach the throne of God knowing that I'll find grace and I'll find help in my time of need. 
When you humble yourself before God's mighty hand, the Bible says he will now lift you up. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to worry about dying in God's presence. God's judgment now passes over you, just like the Passover. It passes over you because of the blood of Christ Jesus. And so we, don't, we are no longer objects of God's wrath. We now become friends of God. So I want you to understand something here. Before Mount Sinai and the law and seeing this scary cosmic mountain, before all this, we see God's salvation. Did God give the law before the parting of the Red Sea? No. Did, did, did God give the law? He didn't. What God does is he saves them. He takes them out of Egyptian bondage. Did he lay the law on them before he brings them through? Did he lay the law on them before he did all the plagues in the Passover? Did he lay the law on them yet? No, he didn't. What I want you to see here, and this is what you may have never seen in this passage. This is what I want you to see. And this is where so many people mess it up in their knowledge and understanding of God. Salvation preceded the law. We will never get a clear picture of God's holiness until we understand his grace. You see, this is what God does. He wants them to understand the law. The law is important. The law is good. He wants them to understand what his righteous demands are. But God first wanted to bring them to himself. Here's where we can get it wrong as Christians. Right? We see somebody and we say, okay, you got to get your life right here. We all know that, right? We all got to get our lives right. We've done bad things or we're doing. And what time, what we tend to do is we tend to put the law before people and say, well, you know, you got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing that. You got to stop doing this. You got to come to church. You got to read your Bible. You got to blah, blah, blah. You got to pray. You got to get a devotional. You got to start listening to K-Love, right? You got to start doing all this stuff, right? Now, let me just ask you a question. Are any of those things wrong? No. What are we actually doing, though, before a person actually has come to salvation? In a way, we're actually putting the law before them first. And that can be a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. Because for some reason, we're saved by grace. And then we morph into all these works, thinking that we're saved by works. See, works are an evidence of a redeemed heart first. So let's not throw all this stumbling block in front of people's lives before they even come to Christ. Hey, you know, saw you the other night. Looks like you came late in last night, neighbor. Right? What were you doing? Right? I see you out in your backyard. See you partying. Right? We, we get this judgmental attitude without offering the grace of God. I brought you to myself first. I put you on eagle's wings. You are my treasured possession. Then he gives them his standard of what he requires of them. God's grace is the foundation for our relationship with him. When I understand the grace by which I am saved, then I can embrace living a holy lifestyle. Everybody should say amen right there. That's it. That's it. 
God's grace is the foundation for our relationship with him. And when I understand the grace by which I'm saved, then I can embrace. Now I want to live a holy life, not because it's held over my head or I'm walking in condemnation and guilt, but now I understand the grace by which I am saved. And guess what? I want to please the Lord. I want to read my Bible, right? I want to come to church to be with other people and worship the Lord. I want to pray. Not because it's another thing that I got to check off, but now it becomes this desire to want to know God and to please him for what he's done for me. Someone say amen. That's, I'm hoping that's freeing some of you up here today. How many of you, when you brought your baby home for the first time, it was just the glorious thing and your life never stopped and everything was perfect. They slept when they were supposed to. They never cried. Everything was perfect, right? Listen, when you brought your baby home for the first time, your whole life stopped, right? A baby is all about itself. Me, 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 me. They didn't care that it was 3 a.m. in the morning. Do you ever have a conversation with your two-month-old? Do you realize it's 2 o'clock in the morning? Could you just sleep a little longer? Right? I just fed you. Can you sleep? You know, there's no, it's just crying. They want to be fed. It's all about me. Even when they turn 16. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. See, they didn't care about your schedule or what you had to do. But here's the thing. It didn't stop you from loving your little baby. You might have felt like jumping off a bridge, but it didn't stop you from loving your child. See, let me land this for you. Let me, let me finish here. God, through his son, Jesus, offers us the same love through his grace. God never stopped loving you. When I look back over my past and the wrong things I've done, I've got to realize in my life through God's grace that Barton, I never stopped loving you. Yeah, you did a lot of dumb things and you're going to do a lot of dumb things. But I'm never going to stop loving you. I remember I had to speak at a Christian school one time. A girl brought me in for pastor's day and they had 20 pastors lined up in the gymnasium with all these kids and each pastor was going to say something. Who was in charge of that? Because pastors never like to speak long, right? So I'm the last pastor out of a row of 20 people. Well, it went on for like an hour and 15 minutes. Kids are falling asleep. Kids are picking their nose. One kid was just wanted to just, he was hitting himself in the head. When is this going to end? You know? And uh, so they finally get to me and I'm the last one. By this time, no one is listening, right? The kids are just ready to be done. So I just looked at the kids. I said, hey, you guys have been listening to all these guys, all these windbags. No, I'm just teasing. You've been listening to all these pastors. I'm guilty. I'm one of them. We all speak too long. I just said this. Here's one thing that God will never stop doing. Never stop loving you. That's all I said. And it's so funny because everyone came up to me and said, I really liked what you said. <laughs> I said, because it was short. And I actually got to come back and speak at one of their chapels. Go figure. And then I spoke an hour and a half. But anyways, um, here's the thing. We've got to remember that. You are my treasured possession. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to mess up. But that's the type of relationship he's desiring to have with us. You are my treasured possession. And then what he tells them to do 
is go consecrate yourselves and then come under my word. These commandments are going to be good for you. They're going to teach you. They're going to instruct you. They're guardrails for your life because I love you, not because I want to add burden and more burden and more guilt and more condemnation on your life because you didn't check all the boxes. You are God's treasured possession. You have been paid with a price. We deserve the worst. We deserve death. But God sends his son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So here's what I would say for you today. Stop doing it yourself. For those of you that are walking under condemnation and guilt because of your past, because you feel like you didn't do enough, for those of you that are comparing yourself with other Christians or other people, like, I'm, how come my, I, I should be doing more, I should be doing, you need to stop that. Jesus has done everything for you. Find your identity in him. And here's the thing. When you come to Christ and you realize the great price that he paid for us, then you can boldly come to the throne of God and understand what he done, he's done for you. And you can find peace and joy and freedom. You're serving Christ is going to be a blessing, not a burden. Serving other people will be a blessing, not a burden now, because you understand the grace by which you are saved. Giving to the Lord becomes a blessing. It becomes a cheerful thing and not grudgingly and under compulsion anymore because you understand the grace by which you are saved because God loves a cheerful giver. That's when you know God has done a deeper work in your life. So let's understand this relationship. Yeah, understand the cosmic mountain and the fear that instills in God's holiness. But understand this, that God's the only way that we can ever come close to God and be found in his presence and receive eternal life is through Christ Jesus because he was perfect and paid the ultimate price for our sin that through Christ now we can boldly approach the throne of God. Remember the story. Jesus died on the cross. What was the thing that was torn in two? The curtain in the temple. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Which means there's no more divide anymore. Through Christ Jesus, we have access to God the Father. Mm. So I'm going to pray for you today. We're, going to, we're just going to close in song today. And it, the song just says, just come. So what I want you to do today, I just want you to come. Maybe as we stand, you want to come to the, the front, the altar, and just pray and just give your heart. Do that. Whatever you feel you need to do to give your life to the Lord, to give those burdens, to give that, whatever, whatever it may be, you just allow Christ to speak to your heart today and just worship him. And let's thank him for what he's done for us. And so give those burdens, give those guilt. If you need to give your heart to Christ, then give your heart to Christ today. Do it. And just say, God, I messed up. I need you, Jesus. I realize now that I can't do it on my own. I need you. So you come. And you allow God to do whatever he needs to do in your heart. So would you stand with me and let's pray. And, and let's just ask God to do his work in our heart as we just close in song today and thank him for today. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that you never, ever relinquish on your holiness. Thank you for that. That actually is a good thing. I thank you, I thank you for Mount Sinai that allows us to see that we can't approach it on our own. We can't approach it on our goodness. But you still brought Israel there to show them their shortcomings. But thank you that you never leave us there. 
that you provide a way for us through your son, Jesus, that we might approach you. I pray that you would set people free here today. Those that are walking under condemnation and guilt, I pray you'd set them free in Jesus' name. As we come today, as we sing to you, Jesus, I pray that your peace and your joy and your love would flood every heart here today. That those things in our life that we know are wayward would be given unto you, God. The things we know in our heart that are distracting us from you, that are keeping us from you, Lord, we would confess those things before you so that those things wouldn't hinder us from having the relationship that you desire to have with us today. So we thank you for Jesus. And I pray this for every person in this place today. In Christ's precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the Son of the Lord today. God bless you.